0: Greetings and salutations. My name is Tyler Elenick, and this is Raven's Rule, the podcast that chronicles all things 90s Can Rock. In this episode, I speak with Sean Alum and Rod Slaughter, the Winnipeg-Manitobas, do a right, Alright, so you guys started in and around uh, 95 in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg has produced a lot of a lot of music, but a lot of music in the 90s, especially in a lot of diverse acts. Can you maybe um, set the scene for the people who aren't uh, from Winnipeg? And what was it like in the early to mid-90s?
1: Yeah, we, we actually, Sean and I were talking about this, we kind of started almost exactly 25 years ago. It was in spring 95. And at the time, Winnipeg, um, it, it really did have a, an amazing, not just music, but entire arts and cultural cultural scene. It was uh, the Royal Art Lodge, uh, visual artists, and, and all sorts of groups. It was really vibrant, and, and you could feel it. Like, if you go downtown at that time in Winnipeg, there was lots of clubs, there tons of people out, but the, the music scene was very more diverse, I think, than anywhere else, and there's been all sorts of theories about why, but Sean and I were thinking that probably the main one is that we didn't even have college radio here until, like, yeah. you know, major college radio until about 98. And so that meant like everybody just kind of found the music that they like on their own, but yet it was still a very cohesive scene. So You'd have bands like uh, Transistor, who were very popular at the time, uh, Kittens, uh, Grand, you know, Grand, the- Grand Theft Dueled Canoe, saying, Grand Theft Canoe. It was all over the map. It was completely different. And and one thing that was great about it is in those days, you know, you wanted to be not be different, but you wanted to be just what you do rather than it seems you know later in time people really want to be part
2: of whatever the big thing is so everything starts to kind of sound the same I, th- I think what it was too was i always said that like because of the college radio factor that we didn't have any we'd have to listen to brave new waves and stuff like that and we'd rate our parents record collections and all these influences came to these bands but kind of like bands like that we like like the jam and stuff like that they they put their own spin on it you know what I mean? Like they they took their influences, but then kind of made uh, a cool thing about those bands. They made it kind of their own sound, or mm. you could you could hear the influences, but they sounded like a band on on, on their own. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, by that absolutely yeah yeah. So,
1: and another thing about, about right, like right around ninety five in Winnipeg before say ninety four, a lot of Winnipeg was it was more kind of either you know your your punk like you know South California style punk or or a lot of kind of hard yeah. rock stuff, but then I remember it was around '94. All of a sudden, all these bands started popping out that were kind of part of what I'd call the indie scene. And, and from Atlantis, out, yeah, Band from Atlantis was one of the first ones, and they would pack the Albert. They came out of nowhere, and they, you know, and they they were very they sounded very much like Superchunk at the time, but it was like nothing else in in Winnipeg really, and um, that kind of seemed to start this whole new wave through the mid '90s of indie music in Winnipeg.
2: Yeah, and it and it was it was all very like. There was there's a place in Winnipeg called the Exchange District, and that's where you could hear these bands like practice because like rent was very cheap and you know, all these old old buildings that, that were still around and really cool, really pretty to look at like the architecture, and that's where these little cafes were and these little bars, and uh, it, it was it was a really thriving scene and and, and, and the, oh. the, it was art as well like like painters and sculptors and like people that were just, you know, starting to get into, like, movies, like Guy Madden and stuff like that, even. Like, it it was...
1: Yeah, that actually is the biggest thing, I think, about Winnipeg at the time. It was very, uh, economically, Winnipeg had never been worse than in the 90s. We had just lost the Jets, the... It went from, like, a small, big city to a big, small town feel. But, you know, it, it seems like when a place economically declines, obviously that's not a good thing, but what oh. happens is you get places like Sean's describing, these beautiful hundred year old character buildings and bands and artists start moving in.
2: Like and New York. Sort of, <laughs> like
1: New yeah, York yeah, in the
2: seventies. It
1: mm. it was it was really neat. Like Sean and I had this place that was rented for maybe two hundred dollars a month. It had pressed tin ceiling, hardwood floors, hundred and twenty year old building. It was it was stunning. And now of course it's either a condo or a you know, very yeah. expensive office or something. But at the time all these artists could have these places
2: to create. Yeah, it's weird because I was, I was thinking about that last night. And I was also watching a, a documentary on Johnny Thunders. And uh, and it's, it was the same kind of vibe, like how they talk about New York. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go back to New York. You know, we, I've been there a couple of times. I was like, but do I want to? Because you, you read interviews now and stuff and, or, or see interviews. And they're like, you wouldn't even recognize it. But yeah it was definitely it was a, definitely a good place to start and um, we were in different bands before that too right Our band shared a warehouse and even then we, we I think we, we used to throw warehouse parties and uh, get all different kinds of people to like DJ and yeah it was just it was a real thriving thriving scene and I mean it still is but I mean, you know, not to be that old guy, but it, it seemed like I was I was mentioning it to, to my partner last night. I said to her, like, you know, yeah, things have changed. It's like there's not, I don't, maybe it's because I'm more distanced from it, but I don't think so. It's just usually, if it's a question between the music or you, it's usually you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, 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 just, it just seems that there, there, there is a community, but it's just, It's. I guess it's more like, you can't touch it as much. It's more digital now or, you know, like right, online. Right. Or well, like.
1: Like Here's the point. We just described this whole, you know, beautiful area with all the artists and different spaces. Now I'd say 90% of the Winnipeg music community is jammed into the second floor of one building on Fort <laughs> Avenue. Yeah, and yeah. no. Rooms it's true. It's from it. propaganda to, uh, to Royal Canoe to like everybody else, and it's crazy. And they're all jammed
2: into this little second floor with tiny little rooms each. Yeah, it's it's true. And then there was one other building in the, outside of the Exchange District that actually burnt down, and yeah. like half of Winnipeg's music community lost a bunch of their shit because, uh-huh. yeah, because because uh, of this fire. And and there was a GoFundMe page because there was like 30 bands in that warehouse. It wasn't uh-huh. like that before. It was like
1: and that was bad. But what I really felt terrible about is the visual artists in there because they lost all of their yeah, like, oh, yeah.
2: you know.
1: With music, you lose your equipment, but your songs will probably <clears> exist somewhere else. But these guys lost everything they created. It was just—it was devastating.
0: Yeah, wow. People like you know Crash Test Dummies and uh, you know Watchmen when they started to make kind of national waves in the early '90s, say before you guys put out your first record, did that kind of uh, give you guys any extra motivation? Say yeah, a band from Winnipeg can do this in this area. You don't have to be from Toronto.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, but the crash dummies. There was a bar called the spectrum and all of them worked at it. Like all of them, like there was four, like at least three or four of them. I know the, the Roberts brothers or whatever did and Dan and, and Brad and then there was Ellen who worked there and uh, they all worked at the pyramid uh, spectrum. It's the pyramid now. And uh, so we saw them they, would, they, they would play there all the time and the watchmen. Yeah. Same, same kind of thing. Actually, I just, uh, I was messaging with Sammy from the Watchmen just a, a couple of nights ago yeah, um, yeah it really took
1: off and it did it kind of put Winnipeg a bit more on the map it's like uh, you know they're, they're both great bands and, and you just can't help feel kind of happy that they they did what they did
2: yeah I mean and see that's the thing too even if you were kind of a mu- different musical taste other than the, uh, the other types of bands the community was like somewhat small right so right you still had some kind of sense of camaraderie. Maybe you didn't go for beers every night, but you, you still cheered each other on, right? There, there was no real kind of like, oh, they don't deserve this, or you, you felt happy for them, and, the, and you, you did feel kind of like, oh, well, maybe we could do this. It, it's because Winnipeg's in the center of Canada, right? So, right. I mean... For a band from Halifax to tour all the way to Vancouver, it's, it takes a lot. We, and we've done that, you know, it takes, <laughs> a a, it, it takes a lot out of you, but we would have to like go all the way to the end of one part of the country and then make our way to the other end, you know, so, but, but yeah, for them to do that is a lot in Winnipeg. You could do these things like where you go do a 10 day tour out West, come home, take a week or two off and then go out East for, you know? So, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that was kind of good about Winnipeg, I mean, not, I mean, cause in Ontario, you can, you can do these little tours where I think Rod used to do, it was in bungalow is his band before us. Like they'd go to Toronto and then just stay there for a little bit and do the, all these little tours, right? Like, yeah, you're so in lit-
1: your base for a month and then just kind of span out from there. For-
2: yeah. But, but Winnipeg, I mean, we couldn't do that, but we could do West for 10 days, come back, relax, go do East for like two weeks, come back and do it again in a couple of months. You know, it, it was maybe that was a good thing. It was, it was a little easier. Right. And you got to broaden your fan base. Cause like, I mean, there were bands from Toronto that I know when we had started, or even when we were in, in the midst of the, the first round or whatever, like when we were together that were well known in Toronto, but I mean, and they, you would think they were gods in that city, <laughs> but they out West, you kind of heard of them in exclaim or whatever, but I mean, they didn't tour that much out here. Cause it, you know, like shit, what you have to drive 18 hours or 12, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, so, so bad. So people didn't get to see them. And back then, like your live show was really important and, and word of mouth was real. It spread, you know, if, if you put on a, a good live show. So, I mean, maybe that was one thing that, that was kind of in our favor. At least for getting people to live shows that, that we because we did we did tour a lot.
0: You're the first duo I've had on the podcast, and you know I'm sure you guys have had probably this question asked of you every single interview you guys have ever done. But why only bass and drums? I mean, any discussions of, of adding a guitar player or you know or a keyboard player or something like that?
1: It, it literally started because Sean and I were the only two idiots to stay late at the warehouse and, and play music. <laughs> we would have gladly yeah. had a guitar player that anybody <laughs> wanted to stick around. But. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, it, it, we didn't even think, uh, when we started, actually, we there was another friend of ours who was a singer guitar player who was jamming with us a bit, and then, I don't know, it's just, you know, one day we didn't call him, or he didn't just come around, and we just kept going, and it was really organic how, how we happened, We you know, we never thought about bass or drums you know like uh, yeah, if we really would have we probably wouldn't have done it you know what i mean because because back then it was like we're gonna have to spend all this time with each other and, <laughs> and then it was also the fact that you know he, back then it was you, you don't hear it now really but it was like well you're bass and drums like where's the rest of the band kind of yeah. thing you know there yeah, were like people online, who we still thought to, that way
1: we weren't trying to create that sort of bass and drum sound at all it was literally we were just playing songs that we wanted to play and you know, when, when we started to get attention and, and people in
2: papers in Toronto and stuff
1: would say, oh, they've got this kind of post-punk sound and everything. And you'd yeah. be like, you mean we don't sound like Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> exactly. And so, and, and then by that time, it's like, well, it's not like we're going to add another member, you know? Like, so, yeah,
0: right, right. So we just carried on. Were the, uh, the inbreds any kind of influence? Or did you, after you guys started to really sort of jam the two of you, did you go to their back catalog and say, well, how do these guys do it? And let's try to be different, or let's try to see what they do good, and let's try to build on that. Was there any kind of uh, synergy there?
1: We didn't know them at all when we started. We knew of other two-piece bands, like uh, you know, No Means No
0: originally, it was just bass
1: and drums. There was another band called Godhead Silo from, from the States. And so we knew it wasn't anything new, but we didn't know about the inbreds, really, until we started to to play out more, especially head east. There was like this divide about halfway through Ontario where it was this is inbred territory. Though.
3: And, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs>
1: and when, when we did hear them, you know, it was kind of like, oh, that's what it's supposed to sound
3: like. <laughs>
1: they, they had a very different approach. And, uh, I mean, we were very different. And so it's, it's kind of like saying the police in Russia are the same because they're three pieces. Yeah. yeah completely yeah, different yeah. sounds. Fair but they, they knew, like, they knew what they were doing. And especially in hindsight, when I look back, like, Mike, the bass player, Mike O'Neill, is that his name? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. yeah he, he had a, a different type of. Bass and he played with a certain sound that was it was conducive, very conducive to it. And the drummer, what's his name, Sean?
0: Uh,
2: Mike and Dave. I don't. Oh. Dave, Dave, Dave. Great, yes. great guys. But
1: he played very simple, and it was it like it it was a very different sort of sound, but it worked. It was like they kind of knew what they were doing, whereas I think Sean and I were just you know, as I say, we we had no clue what we we're doing, and so it was kind of chaotic. Not that that's bad; it's just a different way of approaching it.
2: Yeah, we, we see. That's the thing. I don't think we ever. It may be later on. Especially the last album we did, we thought in terms of being a two piece and how we can layer things and that. But back then, it's like we were writing songs like, and we would, you know, you would label a song before it had a title or something like Sebado or Pavement or <laughs> that's that's what we would do or Ween. I remember there was a song we was like sounds nothing like Ween or Sebado <laughs> or Pavement, but we thought they sounded like that, and we we never really that's the thing that maybe we're just too dumb to know or too young to, you know, like, but it was like, it was never like, okay, we're a two piece band. So we're going to write songs based like this. Right. So it was, it was, it was always just like, Oh, we're bass and drums. And I think maybe that's what worked for us too, was like, you know, we would always do a Beatles cover or something when we played. And it's, it's hard to do stuff like that because, you know, you see bands cover certain songs or ba- or different bands and you go, oh yeah. it's, it's that was kind of a half-ass, you know, whatever <laughs> version of this. I'd rather listen to the record, but when we did it, it sounded nothing like it. Yeah, because it was, there was only two of us, so we we kind of got a pass. You know what I mean? Like, oh wow, look, there's two of them doing like you know strawberry fields on stage, and like we thought it was like sounded orchestral, but it was like <laughs> yeah, it's just me and Rod doing strawberry we fields.
1: E for effort, at least.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's so so we we and we that's the way we always kind of thought. Like it was like we, you know, of course the two piece thing would come in every interview and blah, blah, blah but then right. we knew we were two piece, but it was just we never kind of thought in terms of like our music being a tube, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's something totally different.
0: on being a two-piece and then we'll, we can uh, we'll move on but I'm just curious um, do the type of instruments you decide to play take on more significance?
1: Yeah, yeah actually Sean I'll, I'll start with this one it, it really did like uh, I mentioned Sean's playing is a little more chaotic but what would happen is the way he played in our minds anyway fill out some of the sonic fre- not frequencies necessarily but the sonic volume that was missing from other instruments like if you hit a chorus and you don't have that ringing guitar come in well a couple of crashing cymbals might
3: yeah. kind
1: of fill the place of it. and then with the bass, you know, yeah, huge uh, emphasis with distortion because the bass can be very flucky. um But mm. when you use this, like if you listen to "From Death from Above," like that's you know, that's really where the bass and drums kind of thing really makes sense because he plays with these two massive driven amps with a constant <laughs> distorted sound, and what that does is sustain everything. So it, it doesn't even sound like a bass anymore; it sounds mm. like a like an SG guitar. Tuned down about 12 steps or something. Hmm. And it sustains and it fills things out. So there, there is a lot of things that you have to think about when you're trying to make such a minimal sound kind of, I wouldn't say work, but kind of fill in the gaps a bit.
2: And, and I mean, like, and, and, uh, because of this pandemic thing that's been going on, Ron and I have been trading some old VHS tapes of like interviews from much music and shows that people have taped of ours and stuff. Yeah. And I, I just said, to Crystal last night, or no, not last night, like a week ago or something, but uh, for some reason, there was a show in Edmonton and they, it went right on at the start. It's like focused on this rat pedal and this green phaser pedal. Huh. At the start, it's like, I was like, oh my god, and she's like, why? And I was like, see that? That was Duotang right there. It was like <laughs> he, he, he was this, uh, He'd go through like three of these rat pedals every year, because he'd just stomp on them, right? And I guess <laughs> they lose their oomph after a while. And she, 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 wasn't getting it. I was like, see this, this was like, this is what kind of made our sound. So Rod had some thought into that. And the way I played, it, it was maybe a good thing, but then maybe also a kiss of death too. Cause like, you know, I do I have to accent on those symbols to do this to kind of add. And then I, for a while there, I kind of got stuck in that where it was almost becoming predictable because, but I had to you know, <laughs> yeah. to fill it out. Okay, well, here's the chorus. I'm going to go to the ride symbol, you know, because that's what I did to fill out the sound. And then, I think after we got away from that, especially on the newer album, when we got back together, yeah. playing wise, but yeah, so, I mean, n- nothing in terms of what you bought, like for me, for drums, but the way I played had to be a certain way, at least, or at least I thought it had to be at that time uh, for mm-hmm. the first couple of albums.
0: So you guys formed in summer of '95, and by March of '96, you guys had already signed your record deal. Can you maybe describe how <laughs> quickly that came to be, where you could uh, go from just jamming with the two of you late at night to uh, you know signing with Mint?
2: It was a horseshoe up our ass. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what it was. You know,
0: I, things <laughs> happened so fast at that
1: time. Like I, I, I always think of it. even in Winnipeg. Like we had a good response. It was a Good, you know, well, it, it was, was quick it was good for everybody, but it was very, um, you know, uh, helpful and, and it went really quick. Like, we started getting people to the show. And, but then over that fall and winter, there's two things that happened that just kind of everything kind of took off really quick. One was um, a chance meeting with uh, Peter Jenner, who was the manager a long, long time ago of Pink Floyd and Sid Barrett and then later mm-hmm. Billy Bragg and The Clash. And it was just an accidental meeting where I ended up spending the afternoon with him at a conference here in Winnipeg. Um, and then he came to our show, and he, I guess he turned to somebody from the Olympic Sun or something, and said, "Wow, these guys are really good." You know, and then all of a sudden, now the media is on our side. So that was <laughs> that was one thing. And then the second was, I remember we sent a we sent a terrible cassette tape. Like we recorded it in our warehouse for I think thirty dollars over a yeah. weekend. We were patching together old cords. We had no clue what we're doing. It was just a, it was ridiculous. And then we had the grand idea to send it into like North by Northeast or one of those festivals. Yeah, that that'll do it. So we put yeah. this cassette in with, like, a hand-drawn cover, and uh, on one morning, all of a sudden, I get a
2: call from... Pretty pretty sure, too, that's the time we came up with the name, because we didn't have Or so I don't know.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was all thrown together, and we got a call from I Magazine, and the guy says we picked your demo as the, the highlighted demo of the conference, and I thought it was a joke, and we ended up getting like a half page article in the in I Magazine in Toronto, and get all this hype out of it, and that was like at the very beginning, and so from yeah. that we had some label interest of various labels, and Mint was the one that we were, we couldn't believe it, Mint Records, this is like you know the the top of the indie uh, world, this is amazing, and uh, they were serious and what happened. <laughs>
2: Really cool. yeah and and there's like a, a, a couple of other things in the sea and because of that article we i remember we got asked to do a second show at north by northeast or cmw or whatever i remember us walking right. to leave right. palace to give the guy a take i forget <laughs> what it was about but we got an extra show out of that and and then uh what it was too was Rod. I don't know, this is a genius on his part for business. I don't know what what happened after that because we <laughs> leave, like, but, but he wanted us to open up a show for the smugglers. Hmm. And uh, we opened up for the smugglers in Winnipeg at that place, the the pyramid. And, and uh, Grant they really liked us. Like Grant told us later that it was like one of the one of those few shows where they're in the band room, one guy came down to watch and then went upstairs and said you guys could show, should come watch this band and they all came down and watched and through that too is how we got talking to mint because huh. grant was like you know this this band is is, is really like you know we really like them and all of a sudden i i was getting a call from bill from mint and it's and, and we you know we're lucky too because i remember before maybe this was like a conference after or like, or like a few months after we went back to Toronto or something before we were signed, I think. But I was like calling people like there was this woman, Bonnie Federal who worked for Warner. And I was just like calling her office saying, hey, can I talk to Bonnie? And it was, who is it? it? was Sean from Duo Tang. And she would take, they took the call. You know what I mean? Like, and, and supposedly stuff like, it's not like we signed to Warner, but the, all these people came to our show and, uh, and we got to, kind of like get get to know them and I'm thinking, you know, stuff like that doesn't happen like some guy in a two piece like he said with like some kind of like crazy cassette or something just calls a record company and they take your call. Yeah. You know like <laughs> not that they not that, not that they were dumb enough to sign us. <laughs> but I mean they were dumb enough to take our call or uh, hear about the buzz or whatever and that's that you know, looking back on it that's that's pretty cool. But it was definitely the Peter Jenner's thing the article and i and and then the, the smuggler show and the weird thing about the peter jenner thing was anybody who can get get it i swear to god there's this like 10-part uh documentary called the history of rock and roll that was on pbs and the episode i was watching the night before rod had that peter jenner and then i met him later he was on this history of rock and roll talking about um this um british thing they had at the church where pink floyd played and like lennon and mccartney were there the beatles didn't play but you know everybody was at this like Hmm. acid fueled (laughs) kind of church event and i'm watching this guy talk about this about coming in with the the van or whatever and blah 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 and yeah the next night he's at our show telling people that you know someone should sign this band
1: i went down to this conference
2: that morning and somebody at the front
1: desk was like, "It was one of the conferences, one of them." They said, "Oh, you know, I wouldn't think that you'd be showing up here at least at this time or
3: something."
2: I'm like, "Yeah, that's what you. I was just I wondering think, too. Like, <laughs> now, what that would have happened?" Like, <laughs> but, yeah, I can easily like, but anyway, so I said,
3: well,
2: uh, "I'm just here to hear
1: Peter Penner talk." And this guy, this guy behind me laughed, accent because I think you mean Peter Jenner. <laughs> and then he just was kind of chuckling, and I was, I was red-faced, and he goes, come on, let's go have a drink. And we spent six hours talking about music, no one way. of the most incredible things I've ever experienced.
0: Duotang is one of my favorite names of the of, of the 90s bands, and how did that come to be, and what why the names were in, in uh, contention?
1: I think if I recall, it was like, you know, days after we chose the name, we went, hey, it's duo. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, that I didn't even put two and two together. You <laughs> know, like, it was like, oh, okay. I was just like, okay. No, it, it was, I think it was just like thinking of
1: nostalgic things, and that was one word that popped in my head that was the word. And a lot of weird things came out of like, for one, I didn't realize that they don't have duo tangs in the States, I guess, because everybody in the States is oh, really? like,
0: What's a duotank?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. And I remember when when uh Mint was asking us to send some stuff to them. I guess it was I don't know, it was it was sent, but we I was getting these calls from Grant like, oh, did you send it by fucking ox cart? Like, where is this <laughs> stuff we asked for? And we sent it in a duotang, <laughs> nice. like our like I think it was just and it just it's just like with really bad rods had right? duo tang. We're in a duotang we ran across like in a black <laughs> duotang with I guess like another tape or something and like a picture I don't know because we didn't we didn't know what we were do- this is what I mean about even thinking about you know your instruments for what you're gonna do it happened so fast that we just kind of <laughs> went along with the ride and we sent that and that actually became our first seven inch on mint nice. uh, the message was just the duotang that we sent mint with some whatever in it and they used that as the cover of our first seven inch <laughs> like, so which was in the duotang yeah like it's, it's yeah it's, it's, we're, we're not that smart I
4: hope
0: sign with Mint and they're letting you make your first record. What was it like to get in the studio? And yeah, It was the best the best time. Actually, you know what? I'm really thankful for my sister
2: because I just showed, I just sent Rod a picture of this a couple of days ago. when We were talking about doing this. She saved up a scrapbook for, like, there's a couple of them. Just I, mean, I think it's just, like, the first album, maybe the start of the second. There's a lot. And she saved, like, not the actual contract, but, like, the okay in for not the formal contract but okay we want three records blah 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 you know and all this stuff and i was looking back on it thinking oh this is pretty cool but um we had never toured like we had played winnipeg and we'd done that festival and when we went out to record in we record the first record in vancouver with daryl newdorf and he's done like sarah mclaughlin and all kinds of bands he was in 5440 that was the first time we went and played out west, and I remember mm. first we were we really excited. And I don't think we still, I know, change your mind and King of Beliefs weren't finished yet. We didn't. We were like, okay, well, I guess we need some more songs for a record, right? Like, because you always <laughs> need a couple more songs. But I remember we played Calgary, and this is what I don't get. Like, I don't get. Like, I remember we headlined a show at the. It's a. It's really historic place now looking back probably called the night gallery. It was just an amazing place where every nineties Canadian band played. And, uh, we headlined. and this band called smoother and the new grand. They, they were our opers. <laughs> yeah. And we were driving into Calgary and we heard, I guess it was the seven inch for the message rod. Was it, was that out yet? Maybe. Was, yeah. 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 And, uh, we heard it on the radio on the on uh, the university radio station in Calgary, and so we stopped. This is how we stopped at a payphone, of course, and said, "Hey, we heard you playing our songs like on the on on your radio station. <laughs> we're, we're, we're playing tonight or something. At the night, does anybody want to?" Come? And then they asked us to come come down to the radio station, and there was things set up yet for us for like publicity for Men you know, we're just going out to Music West. And, uh, yeah, we got to uh, play this awesome show, and which was packed in Calgary. We'd never played there before, <laughs> it was mainly because of the two bands we were playing with. But, like, <laughs> you know, then, but then Calgary kind of took a hold of us. And uh, and then we went to Vancouver, and we had tickets bought. Bint bought us tickets, I think, because for Stereo Lab and another show, Guided by oh, Voices. Yeah. And so we was like, I was feeling like a rock star. Like, wow, <laughs> our record company's buying us tickets to you know what I mean? Is this how it is this how it is Yeah, is this how it is being in a band? And like uh so we had those show two shows to see. We played a show at this really cool place called the Gastown Music Hall with all these other mint bands. Nardwar got on the stage and introduced us for 10 minutes to the really? point where Grant had to come off on stage and pull him off because <laughs> he went on about Winnipeg and, like, all these stories. And I'm like, who's this fucking weird dude? You know, like, I didn't, I didn't know. All I kept... People kept telling me is, look, like, yeah, he got Gorbachev to say rocking in the free world or something or, like, <laughs> do-do-do-do. And, and uh, we were big fans of Sloan, and Sloan were at the show, and we got our first, like... I think it was our first much music thing they interviewed us with the the uh bill from mint like this is the new signees and stuff
0: nice
2: and it was an amazing show yeah we got to meet all of these other bands like that were on lookout too because mint had a thing with lookout mm-hmm. and then in the midst of oh and and the which was it the Stereolab show it was like when sloan was about to bro- they broke up because twice removed i guess didn't do as well which is their best album as they thought but then they got back together and did a surprise show and it was like all the music that was gonna be on one chord to another oh wow so yeah so that and that was a surprise so we got to see that opening hmm. for stereo lab guided by voices were freaking amazing and then in the midst of this pour, uh, this show I guess we had I had I had a few a few beverages and uh there's like Kevin Kane from the babes Wrath in front of me And I was like, look, 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 Kevin Kane from The Grapes (laughs) Wrap. And and I loved The Grapes Wrap, and I was just being a drunk. And, like, Guided by Voice is what they did was the first hour where they would do their set. And then they played for, like, an hour. What do you want to hear? Like, uh, Echoes Myron, one, two, three, four. And they just go into it, right? So I was in ecstasy. The next morning, we're on this old, we're we're in a studio on uh, Hastings, like, right on Junkie Row. Like, it was, like, we would walk out every morning to go get, you know, tea and breakfast or whatever. And uh, we'd get asked to say, hey, man, you want something? You want something? I remember one day I finally blew up because <laughs> I was like, man, you've asked me every fucking day for five days fucking straight. i say, no, can you just fucking leave me alone? Like, I started losing it, you know, because it was just, like, in your face. But that one morning I came into the studio, like, because we were sleeping in the studio. It was, like, his house, a huge loft. Huh. Like and then there was the studio part and uh Kevin Kane is in the fucking control room trying to put these two idiots that were at the show. <laughs> I walk in, he turns around he goes, Wait, that's one of them wanting to produce our record the second time. Yeah, yeah. And then we actually be <laughs> we became friends with him. And uh and then in there's more in the midst of this, we get asked out of nowhere do you guys want to like be the opening band for the flaming lips at the town pump?
3: No
2: way. Yeah. So <laughs> we get to see these bands meet. Some of our heroes are recording our first record in Vancouver, you <laughs> know, getting harassed by fucking junkies and then get, get to open for the flaming lips, like <laughs> all in the span of like four or five days. Amazing. The, the, yeah. yeah. It, it
1: was, Probably one of the greatest times of our life, I think. Wow, I mean, oh, it, there was a lot of fun times, but it was, it was a great time. But like your question about the album and the recording itself, like you know, it was pretty, it was pretty loose. Daryl Newdorf is a great producer, but he basically said, "I'll just record you doing what yes. you do," <laughs> uh, which was a little different than our second album. And and what we yeah. did, like we were only a year old. Like we started one year before that. I had never sung in a band before. We, huh. you know, we were just so we didn't know what we were doing. And I think we had some really fun songs probably wasn't the best recording uh but i still like the album it's it's a very it's it's innocent sloppy and messy it's kind of but uh yeah we didn't know what we we're doing at all
2: no no not at all but it was like the experience was great <laughs> like yeah. and i still have a soft spot for that out like i mean it's you can tell it's a more innocent album not innocent as in, in terms of like but yeah it's, it's it sounds like a band that just got together and like, it sounds like a first record you know like that wasn't <laughs> thought out well um but but still there's some of the, my favorite songs on that record and but yeah but in terms of that like that around that time that was our first record and like you, you keep thinking well is this the the way it is and then you look back on it now hindsight you go we were really lucky like the, those
0: experiences are huge yeah yeah so lucky Two of my favorite songs are on there, like King of Beliefs and Ghosts. Wow.
2: Thanks. Yeah, King King, King of Beliefs, when I was talking about some of my favorite songs, King of Beliefs is definitely still one of my favorite songs. And uh, I remember talking to Rod, uh, like, while we were driving, and it just, like, uh, I remember it was in the mountains or something, and he was talking about the lyrics he was he was writing and blah, 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 and, and we were listening to Cure Love Song. I don't know why I still <laughs> remember this so nice. well, but we were listening to – uh and it was funny too because it was my car, like a LeBaron. <laughs> we were, were, were we dragging like a U-Haul. Yeah, dragging a U-Haul in the mountains, and my my tape deck had went. So we had like a little like a little radio tape deck taped on my dash. <laughs> and, I, and I think one of the things about that too, Rod and I is, I look back on these times too, and I'm like. You know, sometimes when people say, oh, well, Duotang should have been bigger or blah, blah, blah. it was like, I don't have any of that. Like, I mean, because I think we always appreciated w- what we were doing at that time, that we were really lucky to be doing what we were mm-hmm. doing. You know, you, you think things are this way or whatever, but like we were always really happy to be in this band playing this music and, and appreciating that moment. Right. Sometimes there's bands who are like, well, we could have been a bigger bar. We could have been like, and, and at the time they're focused on that. Mm. Like that's why I mean. happened so fast. Me and Rod were just enjoying it. So yeah. I think you,
1: one good example is when we toured Europe and the bands that we tour with were like, you know, you, you'd get up from your hotel, you go to Soundcheck at 2 o'clock, and yes. you sit in the band room until you play, and we're like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> yeah, <sure."> so
3: <laughs> we'd be yeah,
1: out yeah. the whole day, Soundcheck was like a secondary thought, we didn't give a shit. And then we'd be out all night until 5 in the morning, and then, like, just taking in every ounce
3: of these things.
2: How many times am I going to get to go to Europe? This is incredible. Yeah, exactly. I, I've always said that. Like, you, you could be you could be at the, you know, that bar- band, the Pyramid or the the Night Gallery or Lee's Palace in the green room eating, you know, maybe the salami and the cheese isn't as good as the stuff we were eating in Europe in the, you know, like the deli tray. But fuck, we're like 15 minutes from the fucking Colosseum.
3: Yeah. Like, no let,
2: sure. yeah. In Rome, let's go check that out, you know? Yeah. And then you get asked to, like, to be taken out by people. Like after the shows and to like a party or go to this pub or a restaurant, like from actual locals and see these places, not through a let's go Europe guide, you know, like right, this, right. let's yeah. go here as a tourist. Fuck yeah, take advantage of that. That's what we always did. I mean, we now I don't know if, we, you know, because like staying up till 5 in the morning and getting up at 10 30 yeah, we or 11. 20,
3: so we're able to do it. It's a little different now
2: yeah so but we always took advantage of that and like you know and i remember sometimes some of the other band or whatever they'd be like which who we got along was fine but they'd be like oh well maybe next time how do you know yeah. there's gonna be a next time right <laughs> like so and i think that's why we got along with a lot of promoters and uh media people as well because they could sense like we weren't these two kind of you know what i mean like yeah you actually appreciated everything that yeah, I appreciate it, and oh yeah, I'll have a drink with you after the show, you know, with exactly. a promoter, and we'll stay for a little, yeah, and that's why I think they were the, the media and especially a lot of promoters were had a soft spot for us, and were really would book us a lot, you know what I mean?
0: For sure, yeah, because it wasn't a hassle
2: to, to always have us. We you know we we're pretty easygoing guys.
0: One more question on the first record, um, the artwork. Did you guys flip a coin on who's going to be out of focus and who's going to be in focus? How did that work on the cover?
1: That was just our friend Chuck Molga took a bunch of pictures, sent them to Randy. Randy from Mint is a graphic designer, so he oh. kind
2: of did his, his magic on that, sent it back, and and we liked it, yeah.
3: Nice. Well, you know,
2: I'm, I'm thinking back on that now, though, is like, I was going to make a joke, like Rod was always like, but I write the songs, and you, well, <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, you're the celebrity picking now, that you're picking three, I mean, it was never so bad. It's, I don't know why, it's like a side thing that's like, three inches long. But like, they asked you to pick three records, but I'm like, well, what? What? And then yeah. now he, he thinking reminds me of those everyone with that <laughs> <is>. <laughs> But now but now thinking back of it, the you know, the one photo that was taken by like a friend of his was for the second album. For some reason I'm out of focus on that photo. <laughs> now that I'm now that actually nice. it just hit me right now, like thinking about what, that. You're out of yeah. focus on that one? In in Cons of the Pro <laughs> it was the one that your friend took the one, the one photo your friend on the album I'm thinking now wait yeah I'm going to focus on the drums there and Rod's just sitting there with his bass and I was like yeah that wasn't like done by someone who was you know just their job was to take it it was like yeah, it was a friend of his and yeah, he's he's in focus in that one. Like, i I didn't. I didn't re-
1: I my only impression was Photoshop him out. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, you know what Photoshop was in 1998?
1: <laughs> Liquid paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. They're coming from the guy who sent a duo tank scratch with duo tank. <laughs> And when we got back to, we, when we were doing this stuff in 2016, he said, well, we ne- we need, uh, a, a, what, I forget what we needed something, but he said Wikipedia as like our webpage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? And what he said, he told me, I think there was just like a fucking deafening, like like silence, what? Wikipedia, that's not, no, no, we need to get a website, a webpage. Like we need, we needed something, but it wasn't, definitely wasn't Wikipedia.
0: So after the first record gets uh, recorded and printed, and what is the plan to kind of um, from Mint and you guys to kind of work that record and kind of promote your band and
2: well to tour our asses off, yeah. Which which for the <laughs> which for the first record we did, and, and the sad thing about it is is like we didn't tour the states a lot and we should have because we yeah. did on that record and we got really good responses. I think there's two
1: things, actually, Sean. One is, yeah, we didn't get to the States enough, and it's probably the same reason we didn't as the second concern I had, or looking back, is that we didn't do enough all-ages shows. Yeah. And I think it's because we had a a really good agent. In fact, he's now like the top agent in Canada. And, you know, this isn't anything against him. He he was
3: fantastic.
1: But he was putting us on bills that would get money, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is obviously smart, but at the same time, you know, you build a bigger following if you spread out your audience more, not just playing for the kind of college crowd. You want to be playing all ages, and we should have been doing those kind of like we did do the states tours, but the and we should have done more of them. Where you're sleeping on people's floors and just do it. Who cares about the money? You'll sell the merch.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, that's exactly that's no, that's what I was, That's exactly it because like when you're getting X amount of dollars for doing Amigos in Saskatoon and the starfish in, in Vancouver and blah, blah blah, and then he's like fucking you, and you're getting like. Seventy-five dollars in Seattle, or you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's like, "Well, why is it worth our but?" But he was that—that that was short-sighted. You know what I mean? Because yeah. when we did yeah. do those shows in in the states, we would see that, like, wow, there's big markets. here you know, we're actually doing people rem- like liked us. You know what I mean? Where and it was like this. Is now, of course, it's about the '90s, so it doesn't matter about us dating ourselves. But this is kind of right when the internet is starting to kind of take off and right. people are starting to write little blogs or whatever and you could see like someone writing someone in something in St. Louis like Savas band Duotang. They were great. you know what I mean check them out. It would have helped a lot but but yeah, but that's that's one thing. So it, it was a tour it was to tour a lot which we did. We did a lot of tours. When, when, the, when our first release came out, we were already we went all the way to Halifax, played <laughs> Halifax, drove back home, had like one day that up with Cub. It was Cub's last tour, nice. and with uh,
1: with Zampano. With Zampano, Zampano oh, not, was uh, Carl Newman from New Pornographers. They were. The more I think about it, the of Canada's greatest lesser-known bands. So Zampano, oh,
2: that yeah, Going Through Changes know. album or whatever is awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Sorry. Yeah, guys. but but then it was met up with them, and then went all the way back to fucking Halifax. <laughs> like you know, we I mean? drove and then got back to Winnipeg and then did our own tour out west. It, it was a lot of a lot of touring, so that that was the plan and that's what you did. But it really helped. The only shitty thing that was going on with that between our first album and our second album two hours two years later was uh, Mint was going through some stuff with Cargo.
3: Mm.
2: It was right when Cargo was folding and they were our distributor. So, we are getting all these great shows, and like they're getting amazing reviews. Like, we're on the college charts, like, doing really well. And Ron and I weren't above going to see if our, like, we'd have time during the day, you know, whatever, out east or whatever. We're going to some of these record stores, and our records aren't there. Hmm. And, And we're asking. Like the person at the desk or whatever counter, oh no, it's on order, but we're sure, because Mint ended up suing Cargo because they're supposed to be putting out our album on September 7th or October, whatever it was, and now they're just not distributing it, it's being held, and then Mm -hmm. we had to go through, they quickly had to go through other smaller uh, distributors to get our records, but they finally made them there, but it was that I think that was one thing that was, that's the one little, you know, negative from when all that was happening that Mint was in a dispute with Cargo, right? And they were owed, I mean, not like shit, shit loads of money, but like for an indie label, enough where they were feeling it and feeling the impact of these album, this album that they thought they had somewhat of a hot new indie band being out, and it's half the record stores aren't getting that record yet, right? But it, but that's what we did. We just toured, and then, I mean, the process of making videos, like we you know we never
0: thought of that we had to do. And uh, yeah, what was that like for you guys? I mean, did you guys come up with the treatments, or did you just find directors you liked, or did the label kind of coordinate that? Or
2: yeah, it was it was like here's money for a video. <laughs> Who do you want to do it? The first one we did in Winnipeg over a few days uh, with uh, this woman Sandra Ends and. Uh, I always liked it. Rod didn't like it when it came out. But, I, know, I, I liked
1: it. it. It was it was supposed to be based on this movie Blow Up from the sixties, and and I, I don't know maybe because when you when you base something on something you have a vision in mind. It wasn't yeah. quite that. But looking back, it was really well done, and it was a great time. It's like we did it at a club in Winnipeg, and it put out you know this an invite to anybody who knew the band to come down, and there were so many people there actually.
3: Uh, Putting they can people in certain, yes. certain number of people.
2: Yeah, and it was, and, you know, I knew it worked a couple years later or a few years later, because coming home, I was with a, a girlfriend of mine or whatever, and uh, blow up was on, and mm-hmm. so we watched some of it. And she's like, "No, oh, this looks like your video. <laughs> <laughs> Our video was based on this." So like, so that's when it kind of hit. Like, it's like, okay, maybe it did not work well, and it was slow down. The song was slow down, and that song did really well for us. Uh, if you really listen to Duotang and you listen to Slow Down, there's something, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but there is something very much Canadian, because one thing I pr- pride ourselves on uh, is that we didn't sound like a lot of bands at that time. Right. Still don't. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Slow Down kind of can fit in that indie Canadian sound. You know what mm. I mean? But yeah. that, it's, it's more of a rockin' kind of song and kind of fits along some of those Plutos and you know what I mean? Like right. some of, some of those bands. Yeah. So it was, I think it was definitely a first good first choice because it was either between that where like ghosts maybe can believe or can believe of the message or something. But, uh, yeah. So filming the, it was the video and then it was like, you know, like lots of interviews and, um, much music stuff, which we were really lucky that we got a lot of that stuff, a lot of much music, Interviews and play. I think. And I think part of that too is like appreciation for what was happening to us because we were like poor man's like Wayne and Schuster, you know, like <laughs> like we we were a duo that like played music and hopefully you know we're taking a bit, but then you see interviews with us and we're like the old married couple and you know <laughs> but I think we were lucky that like so it was easy for a lot like much music and and. Like the press, like a lot of stuff to reuse us for for these things because you know there was you could, you could see the enthusiasm and there was a bit of a bit of shtick involved as well, right?
0: Guys ever um, ever discuss moving to Vancouver, or Toronto, and making that your base, as opposed to Winnipeg? And do you think that would have been easier to get the band to the next level? Or do you think that have any impact at all?
1: Uh, I think it would have. Yeah, I, we yeah. never really thought about it. Like we were flat broke, you know, the whole time, and so moving yeah. to a place where now you got to pay twice, three times as much to live and a place right. to rehearse, and you know, yeah. it just it didn't make sense. But I mean, realistically, yeah, there it. It is harder to make music you're living when you're in a very isolated city. And it can happen if you're really good. Like, the weaker bands made it happen. uh, And other bands have, to a lesser extent. But, yeah, you really need to be kind of in the center of things, I think, to take it to the next step. But like Sean was saying, we never considered
2: the next step. We were just happy to be on the first step. (laughs) 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 it's, it's It's true, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were thoughts. I know there were thoughts of maybe Toronto, but Vancouver, because just Mint was there, and we knew we would be there so often, and we knew so many people, and then, you know. Yeah, we were, really,
1: like, we were in those places so much. We were on the road one-third of the year, so, I mean, yeah. you know, at, at the beginning, anyway, there was no point in being anywhere else, because we were always traveling. But, you know, realistically, later on, it might have made sense.
0: You said you uh, dipped your toe in the States on that first record. Did you just go back and forth across Canada a number of times, or was that the time they sent you to Europe on that first record? record—it Was that the second album?
2: I think that was right before the second. or We went to Europe twice.
0: No, it was, it was, the, it was the second album, I think.
1: Yeah, so the first album was mainly Canada, and then we got through the States, and then it was like two years later, we went to Europe for the first time, full like a month or five weeks or something, and then a year later, we went back to Europe for like six weeks.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and in the
1: meantime, we're still going back and forth across Canada, and we would we would go to the states for like select shows, like uh, you know CMJ in New York City, or a little thing to Seattle or something. Or that we didn't really tour the states except for that one time.
2: That was a big midwestern, like eastern seaboard tour, uh, but that which like I said, we should have done more. But it was lots of Canada, Europe, and uh, a little bit of the states. Which thing is not a lot of bands were doing that either. Like there were some. But like, I mean, the propagandies and stuff like that, they were doing that. But, you know, a lot of bands that we knew, like, you know, like the, the Murder Bands or Sonic Onion Bands, they were doing some of that, but they were it was almost just as much as us. You know what I mean? It right. was it was it was still that I think in the 90s, it was still that, oh, well, they're they're one of my favorite Canadian bands.
3: Right. You know what right. I
2: mean? Well, I mean, I mean, I know they wanted us to do more because it's, it's the one this to us in like the book about mint and like uh that our record comes bill baker says like yeah they were an awesome li-. like he's complimenting us to about our live show and they toured canada a lot like because <laughs> they always said like guys because the smugglers were doing the states a lot right and he, here's where moving comes into play because the Smugglers were touring with all these lookout bands and all these Western seaport bands, like from down from California to Vancouver. Right.
3: Right.
2: We're in Winnipeg. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we had a tour down the West coast plan too. And it, it just, we didn't do it. Cause the, our agent was like, well, there's a, you have a couple of days off. And I was like, me and Rod were like at the time, who cares? We'd live off like freaking you know, seven 11 hot dog. Like it was like, <laughs> we're young, like fucking like, we had a show planned at the, at the fucking Whiskey. You know what I mean? Oh, wow, like, yeah. like, like, it was like, okay, no, let's let's do this. I remember he was like, wow, I mean, there's no money in it. And the thing Jeez. is, with the Mint bands, they would have these connections in Seattle and Portland with K Records and Lookout in California where they would piggyback on a, on a, a tour with another band, who's big, <laughs> and there'd be people at those shows. Exactly. So when you talk about the moving, yeah, like if obviously if we had moved to Vancouver, it yeah. would be way easier for us to get on these tours to go down the Western Seaboard, you know, like taking back the smugglers.
1: It's closer to all the like
3: you
2: know, and Toronto Detroit, too. And
0: yeah. That. So um, at this point, you guys have spent uh, a lot of time together, and, together, and there's just two of you. Um, how is your relationship between you two guys at this point after all that touring and after your first records out? And <laughs> yeah, it, it, we used it, to joke that that was one of the the good things about being a twosome was that, uh, you know, it was easier to tour, obviously, but also
1: you would fight. But then the next day you get in the van and it's like, okay, well, there's no one else to talk to. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so our was didn't last very long. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, it, And even do little stupid things to, like, amuse yourself. Like, I remember once I was driving, it was just me and Rod in this van, and we had a couch in the back of our van. Like, we had this box built into the back of the van and a couch against it, a love seat or whatever. And I just have this feeling that it's like, it's five minutes. I'm driving the highway. I'm like, okay, what's going on? He's, and I look in the rear view mirror. And he—he he was I know he was waiting for five. He was just looking in the rear view mirror with his face, waiting for me to catch his face. <laughs> in the rear view mirror. Like, I knew he was, it was like five to ten. It's like, I can feel the energy. Like, <laughs> feel it. like, I look up in the rear view mirror and he just has this, this goofy rod. I know the face, I can see it now like, uh, like it waiting for me. And it's so, so stupid things like that. But the best was, I know it was in the mountain somewhere and he was passed out in the passenger seat. I think this is in the car too, maybe before we had the van. I don't know. But yeah, it had to have been. And there, there was a, a semi towing another semi And so, like, when we're pulling up behind and we're driving the mountain, it looks like a semi's coming right at you, because it's being towed, but you know what I mean? So he's, like, in the passenger seat, and I'm just waiting, I'm waiting. And then I scream, we're gonna fucking die! And he opens his eyes, (laughs) and there's a semi staring at us right in the fucking window, and he just screams, just. <laughs> <that a> <laughs> I'm too
3: young <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> And then comes the second album where he looks like he's aged 10 years
3: <laughs>
2: but yeah so we would do stupid stuff like that I mean and you have to get along like I mean in terms of coming to the third album and now you know, you know, you know we, we talk we talk <laughs> but, it, but but for those first few albums it was, it, was, it was fine like I mean yeah, it was usually fine. It, we 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 got along well. I mean, they, like I said, there there would be fights. Like I remember one night he threw a beer bottle at me in our warehouse in front of a reporter. Which <laughs> I don't know. It was for some and I was like, what the fuck is he thinking? Like, you know what I mean? And she's like scared. He's like, I ah, don't worry, it's rotten And like he's like, you want a party? I'll show you a party. And he's got mad. It was about something to do with like a show or something. Or and uh, so there would be like and me. There would be little helpers, but like you said, who else are you going to talk to?
0: So at, at this point, did you start to see, at, at, in 98, the Canadian, like the Canadian 90s, alternative rock boon kind of started to kind of fizzle a little bit at that point. Did you yeah. notice any kind of change happening between the time you put out that first record to the time the second record came out? Well, that's why it's yeah, called The cons actually, of the I, Pros. I, <laughs> yeah, it, it, like
1: for us, it was it was a good time. Everything was going great at that It time. was, actually.
2: That second album was great. Um,
1: but the uh, the music scene
2: changed, and I think the big thing was uh, electronic music. That yeah. Was, yeah,
1: that was the age. If you remember like ninety seven, I guess, especially. But by ninety eight, it was really so. Cool. It was like Spodgy and Chemical motors, and everything was
2: becoming about electronic. So when Train Spotting train came stars. out, man,
1: yeah, and you really saw it in that time,
2: 98
3: to ninety
2: nine. But but for us, like once again, we were kind of lucky that um, we were peaking then. Like it was like that's the first album was like kind of like okay maybe maybe they're going to go like men thought that they were going to make money off of us and sell us to majors and stuff right <laughs> and when that didn't pan out we were we were like kind of this this indie like number one on college charts for the first album or no number 2 i, I remember because Sloan, those bastards who came <laughs> out they, they came out with that album one chord to another so they were like on there forever and we were just at number 2 and we <laughs> never could we could never no, could no, kick we them off
3: number one with that album
2: no no, no. It was our last two albums we hit number one with.
3: Oh, the the
2: first album was number two, but we were like on there like longer than almost anybody. Like we were in the top ten of the college charts, and that shows how much touring we did. Like for the first album, like for like six months or something, you know what I mean? Like, but we never hit number two, number one. But the second album we hit number one. And the cons and the pros, I think it was like, okay, well, now they're the newer band. Both, and the second was like, we were kind of getting a little more, like, respectful. You know what I mean? Like, they're, right. okay, they're like a Canadian band that could maybe do something. Because, like, I mean, even the tour we did across Canada, like, our opening acts were Plumtree and The Weekend. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, like, but what I a gr- reading
1: something not long ago where it was Sajmo Duotang, and it said, these guys kind of paint when live music was taking a tumble because of rave music and then when when live music finally took off again
2: with the strokes and all that they broke up yeah <laughs> <That was just laughs> <the worst timing. laughs> no 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 they, they, it was yeah if you read that q said that i remember going to the it was oh, like q,
3: right. yeah, yeah. yeah it was
2: q q or cbc they were like yeah so they weren't when they were hip or what they they weren't this isn't what was in then when what they were doing was was starting to be hip they break up in 2001 or 2003 or two or whatever and now they're back and what they're doing isn't hip again but it's good you know what I mean? like, like so it's like their timing freaking sucks <laughs> but, guys that show up too late to the party yeah time. exactly but <laughs> oh, there's no more beer in the fridge oh look fuck it's four in the morning okay and that's my rod voice too Wait, it's
0: four in the morning oh, fuck okay let's just go to burger king <laughs> <laughs> yeah. shit party's over Show up too late or leave too early, eh? Before the party yeah. gets jumping, and... yeah. But but
2: that's the thing. It was it was it was like a, actually a compliment, right? Like right, exactly. Saying that we didn't sound like anything then, or as like and pretty much saying that we're the idiots we are. The, you can obviously tell now that um, that we just didn't care. I mean, we did. We cared about like believe me, we cared about business stuff and everything like that, and like I mean, we wanted to make some money out of it and we wanted our records to do well, but once again it's this winnipeg kind of thing where we were just doing what we what we could do you know and maybe once again now that you that you brought it up maybe we're moving somewhere else would have helped us out a lot because there was i mean we we would talk to the record company and our agent and stuff over the phone and and all this stuff but i mean there wasn't like we would be told what we're going to do but there could have been more done but yeah the the second album we're really lucky because when that stuff was going down like our, our crowds were actually getting bigger. But oh, cool. maybe maybe that's because we weren't the norm rock band, you know mm-hmm. thinking about it now, we didn't sound like super chunk, you know like, which was kind of that sound fading away in the indie, indie kind of sound that there was. We still sounded like ourselves, so maybe maybe for that album or that, that, that time period it, it helped us. You know Because I know they played that was like where Broken rule got a lot of play on much music. And it was, and then the songs were being, and then we did that tour too. Like, like I mean, and, and just when we, I said we were going through like tapes and that we were trading. It was like, there's like on that tour alone, there's like four or three or four different much music interviews, like right. a Toronto. I know we did one, but I don't have a, but there was a Halifax, a Vancouver, a Toronto, you know what I mean? Like we, we were getting these interviews and that, and that was one of the main outlets for people to know about your music was much music. And, much West and much East and you know what I mean? Like, so, so yeah, we, we, I think we were lucky during that, that time period.
0: Did you guys, you guys uh, kind of touched on it there um, where mint was thinking of, you know, trying to get you guys, I don't know if, if the right terminology is sold to a major or, or acquired by a major label. Yeah. I'm not sure the exact, but um, was that ever close for you guys? Was there any kind of,
2: no, I think if anything at the start, because I know there were other labels that were interested with us at the start before we signed the mint, but mint had told people that they had already signed us the bums, but uh, <laughs> not after. That. And I think that's what their plan was. Cause they had done that with like Pluto and stuff, right? They... I don't know
1: if that was their plan though. I think that happened to them. like mint is the, the one thing that's so impressive about them is that uh, they were the one indie label that never wanted to uh, sell to one of the majors. Like all the other indie labels did that. And they held their guns, and they were the only ones. Now, maybe they would have liked their artists to do a little better, and if that meant going to a major, but they themselves didn't want to.
2: Oh, no, they not them done. themselves, but, but, but for bands. Like when Pluto, Pluto was signed under a contract to Mint, so when Pluto went to Virgin or EMI or whatever, like Mint got some money for that. Oh, right? yeah, yeah,
1: I guess you're right, yeah. So, but
2: the, I rem- and I remember Bill talking to us, or to me maybe, because I talked to Bill a lot. And uh, him saying, you know, joking like, yeah, well, it was, you know, like will be a blue, you guys are the boy, you know, you know, we'll show you off, we'll still be friends, but, but I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think they were disappointed that that didn't happen, but getting um, on the
1: wrong horse there, <laughs>
2: yeah, but but they but they, I think they kind of thought that, but in, in, in the in the same token, like what what would we have done? Like I mean, I, I remember we had signed the same time as another band in Canada. Uh, when we signed to mint and it was, it was, I remember Hayden was talking to us cause he was friends with a friend of ours called Greg and about, and that's when he was being feted by all these American labels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember him once it's like, yeah, you know, you do your work on an indie and then you have more leverage to talk to a major or whatever, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. once you've proven yourself on a, on an indie, as opposed to just, Oh, you're a buzz band. Here's here's a Canadian major label. will give you this much money that you're gonna have to pay back. And if it doesn't pan, and we're not gonna put a lot of money into you. And if it works out, it, it works out. Like I mean, and then there's bands like I Mother Earth and Our Lady Peace where those are major label looking sounding bands, right? Mm-hmm. We we are we weren't that type mm-hmm. of band, so it would be harder to sell. But we signed to Mint when another band had signed to like BMG or something, right? And it took them two years to put out their first record. And they had gotten some opening acts on some like soft seat theater sh- shows with, like, say, Treble Charger or whatever, right? And this is at a time we met up with them in Vancouver. And they're, but then they're playing their own show. And there's, it's like a half pack crowd at this bar. And it's our second album. And we have, like I said, we're on tour with. Plumtree and the Weaker Thins, and we're like playing a sold out show at uh, the Starfish Room, which was like not the Commodore, but the the big club in Vancouver, right? And that's from being on an indie. Who knows if we would have signed to some label like that, we probably would have been stuck in that Siberian kind of thing, and the buzz would have worn off, and who knows what would have happened, right? So I think we're lucky and we're smart with what we did.
0: You're talking about the Weaker Thins, and that's a lot of people's favorite band, and um, can you maybe tell some Wicker Than Stories and how that relationship between you guys developed? And
1: One of the things is that when, when we first started, was actually you show know, that I did this in the space. There's a, a punk rock house in town. They'd have basement shows, and so I just played a couple of songs with my bass. That was the beginning of Duotan, really. And the one person that uh, came up or somebody said, hey, you know, John's here, and he really liked your set, and I met John Sampson. He was in Propaganda at the time. So he was kind of like the first person to... Huh. To say something nice, which is interesting, and then we were friends, and we ended up when he started Weaker Than's, they came on tour with us across the country, uh, and what I thought was awesome. This is a story I always like to tell about John, is that, ever people who come to the show, like there was you know our crowd, and then there's a bunch of people who didn't give a shit about us. But they came to propagandy <laughs> or John from Propagandy. and a lot of them were disappointed by
2: Weaker Than's. It's kind yeah. of like, you know with this mopey. but
1: John. Few of them actually
2: returned to- CDs. A few of them actually returned CDs to the merch booth because they bought them before they saw The Weekend and thought yeah. they were going to be getting propaganda. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: and John did yeah. that. And I. He just had this kind of inner, um, you know, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And this is this is before, but we did this tour and you could see people falling in love with them as yeah. this tour went on. And by the end of the tour in Vancouver, I remember Grant Lawrence was like, oh my God, this band is incredible. And we literally saw the birth yeah. of that band. And as opposed to yeah. most other bands that we witnessed where they're kind of made big or, you know, like this is a band that just, John had this idea, had his little three-piece or now at that, that point four. And and we watched it kind of begin to grow. And then, then, yeah. then the sky was the limit. They just got
2: huge. Yeah, yeah that, always,
1: that's, that's always right. a thing that I feel is very, very
3: happy to
2: uh, have yeah. seen that. Yeah, yeah no, he, he's right. And you could you could definitely see that happening, and once again, like and and that's the thing, knowing that's happening and being oh. happy for it. You know what I mean? That's the right. Winnipeg kind of thing. And also, and when with the first show, he the is Rod. It was at the Red Fisher House, so that was like John yeah. Sutton and, and Jay the drummer's house. So there's a there's a Weaker Than's connection too. Like oh, yeah. our first <laughs> basement show was in two of the Weaker Than's house. <laughs> <making> their base <paper. laughs> so we, we had known them forever like because two of the guys were in a band called Red Fisher and uh, a punk band from Winnipeg with this guy John Stewart and John Sutton and Jason T- and Jason Tate the drummer from the of ends were in that band huh. that evolved into the into uh, the week ends with Samson and that's why we took them but yet at the same time on that tour was cool it was the plum tree was there and we want and the, we didn't want because one thing about the, the 90s kind of indie scene was you would see all these Halifax bands tour together and you would see all these Winnipeg right. like endearing bands tour together. And one thing that I'm kind of proud of with Duotang is like we took these two other different bands. One, one was from Winnipeg, but nothing like Duotang and then, yeah. you know, Plumtree, which is nothing and did a whole tour together. And then after oh, that, we, we did a tour with a band from Toronto called Four Star Movie and tried to do different things. You know, not just, like, one tight style of music. So, um, Duotang
0: released a record recently, I mean, a few years back. Is uh, What's the plan now for you two?
2: That's the weird thing about Duotang. How
0: we explained how
2: we always did it because we loved it, but when we did it, when we started, it was all planned out for us. Like, I mean, I mean, we got signed, and it was like, okay, you're doing these tours. And so when there isn't all of that ahead of you, Mm-hmm. you can get complacent or lazy rod's not right. rod's been working on different things i've just, i was just djing and like besides my other job it's like for for my kind of like creative output and that was that's like playing old 60s stuff and like or actually it's called what the fuck like whatever i want to play that right it goes from <laughs> disco to, goes from disco to like indie to 60s to you know like st- stacks and motown but um we actually a few nights ago, and this could be because we've been talking about the old days and how we brought up the 25th anniversary. Uh, there's talk about maybe recording three or four songs. We're not on any label now. We put it out on Stomp, and it did really well. And I actually think it's our best record.
3: That's
2: cool. You know, it's weird too because I I put on like you know I have Alexa, so Alexa play the Zombies or whatever on Spotify, right. and I was doing that, and it was all this cool the Zombies like the 60s band, their stuff. And then I guess it played. Some of the shit they did later in their career, like twenty years, you can tell it's like these older guys. I was like, yeah. you know, what? maybe we're not so bad because you <laughs> you can t- like you listen to this great, great, great six better than we ever could imagine to be, and now I'm listening to this album and it sounds so bad, and it's like yeah. these old guys. Maybe maybe I'm just fooling myself, but I'm like I said to my my girlfriend, I was like we're pretty lucky because our record sounds pretty freaking good. Like compared, you know, <laughs> agreed, for 13,
3: yeah, agreed, yeah.
2: yeah, 13 years after the fact, it sounds pretty mo- like, you know, modern contemporary, right?
3: Like, yeah, just exactly. look at the, it's...
2: yeah. Look at the fall. These guys talk, you know? <laughs> um, so there's maybe plans to do three or four songs. And I told Rod, like, we're so used to like tours and like, I'm the kind of guy that is, if we're not, if there's not something in the future, I just get lazy and I just don't want to do it. Like I, I was, there were times I said to him too, well, why don't we just do a lot? Cause he's, he's been jamming with a few other people around the city. And I was like, uh, why don't we just do a last show? Like, cause we never do Never did a last show. The first time we broke up, well, we did, but we're not an announced last show. Right, right, right. Yeah. I said, and if we end up doing a show two years after the fact for somebody's something, who cares? Everybody does that anyways, but, it's exactly. from, but if it, but if it, we don't, we, at least we know we've done the last show. And, uh, but then now we're talking about, cause we, cause we do have new stuff and I think it's just as good, if not better. And we've been told that than uh, our last album and that just all came, our last album came like we did it because of that mint, that book that mint put out. And then Randy flew to Winnipeg and asked us to do a show in Vancouver for mint and so we couldn't say no if he flew out here to ask us, yeah, right? that's awesome. And yeah. and yeah, and our friends were putting, uh, we're starting a bar car called the Goodwill, uh, in Winnipeg, which is like now the place to play live. And so we're like, if we're gonna do Vancouver, we're practicing. Let's do Winnipeg, right? And right. so we got asked to do all these shows after that because people had heard that we had done this stuff, and that's when we said, well, are we just gonna do the three albums and some like if we're gonna do this? once rod came into the student warehouse and said what do you as soon as he said what do you think of this i knew we were <laughs> doing another re- i knew we were doing another record <laughs> thankfully it was good because if, if it wouldn't have been i think i know what i like because we made that record for ourselves and i think that's why it's our best
4: Just imagining the mind is a fertile ground. The dialogue that. This-
0: Apple and Spotify of all 90s can rock and uh, I'm asking all the guests on the on the on the podcast to give three songs two singles and one deep cut um, so how would you like Tang to be represented on the playlist
2: I don't know Rod why don't we just do this Democrat uh, you know what King of Beliefs yeah cool
0: yeah Rod yep. what were okay you thinking?
1: I would say something from the second album that's always been my favorite so I'd probably say call your side
0: nice and uh, The Deep Cut. You guys have to agree on this one. What? <laughs> <Rod. laughs>
1: uh, um, I think, again, from the second album, that song, Leave Well Enough Alone? Or, or Change Your Mind from the first
2: record, the last song? Yeah, Sure, Change Your Mind is good. Or okay, Slow Down. That's a deep cut? No, okay, no, we, yeah, okay, yeah, it's not. Or Conjugal Visit would be a deep cut.
0: Oh. Huh?
2: That's a pretty good one.
0: Wonderful visit. A yeah. Okay. Right on. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to join us today on the podcast, man. It's been great talking to you both.
1: Thank you so much for this is this has been awesome. Uh, I really enjoy your site, first of all, and, and it's great to talk about some of the stuff. So thank you very much.
2: Thanks for doing what you're doing. Like it, it honestly is is a really cool thing.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Ravens Rule. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can do so in a variety of ways. First, you can go to patreon.com slash ravedrool, become a patron, get access to deleted audio, get advanced notes of the guests, and get a chance to submit questions to those guests for an exclusive Patreon Q&A. Visit redbubble.com, search ravedrool, and you can buy various goods with the Raven Drool podcast logo on it. Follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to this. And if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more Naughty's Cam Rock content, please find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And lastly, if you're looking for music, we have an official playlist on Apple and Spotify. Currently it's curated by myself, the tracks that I've selected, but as you heard during today's episode, eventually it'll be curated by the guests themselves. Until next time, friends, take care.